Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Well, good morning. Good morning. Some of you probably checked your calendar when you walked in to make sure it wasn't the first of the month because that's usually when we share communion together. It is, I believe, the 19th and 20th, the weekend, and, and everything's okay. Did you know that in the early church, whenever they had communion, it was their rallying point. It was a place that they would actually come together. They would spend time with each other, and then they would share the Lord's table, and they would go out. And they would go out, and they would be ministers in the world they lived in. And so today, based on the message you're going to hear, the connections that we'll make all together through this whole service, I think that sharing communion and the Lord's table together today is going to be very appropriate. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful that the Bible does not legislate all the theology and all of the rituals that people have gathered about the communion table. It doesn't tell us here, you do it here, here, and here. It just says when you come together. When you take the Lord's Supper together, do it in my name. And that it's open for us. And that's what I like about it. The Lord left, he left us with great wisdom, leaving this table open for us to come whenever, whenever it was appropriate for us to come and share the table together. The theology of it all is to bring yourself. Don't do this in vain. Don't waste this time or opportunity to get right with God, to get right with yourself, to get right with each other. And that's really the nature of the Lord's table when you come together. So in just a moment, we're going to share the Lord's table together. But before we do, I want to share a few things with you because this weekend, we're going to continue our series in Ephesians, but with a little different slant to it. And here's what I mean. Lately, um, I've had this tugging of God's spirit to share something with you that I haven't shared in years. Uh, I'm saying that not because I'm afraid to do this or bashful. I think it's just an issue of not being cognizant of it, not being aware of it, and taking more time to think through certain things that need to be thought through. This tugging has come in the form of young people. They've been asking me to share oral history with them. It's kind of interesting to me. I've had young people coming and saying, would you talk to us? Would you talk to us about the history of this church? Would you talk to us about the history of Foursquare? Would you talk to us about your own ministry history? I, I, I first thought when they were asking me this that Am I, I'm too old for them to ask me all these questions. But I realized that, uh, I, excuse me, I'm too young. That's what I should have said. <laughs> I'm old, I'm too young. But we've had these wonderful conversations. It's been amazing. What I'm recognizing is people want to know and want to be in touch with their roots. Whether they're biological roots, whether they're spiritual roots, whatever they are, wherever they are, we want to be in touch. I think today, because we live in a fragmented world, people are asking questions about what they are connected to, what they belong to. And I want to share a little bit about being connected and what it means to be connected, because it's important. Our CBC and ID students want to know. Our next gen and leaders, they want to know. I've been asked to share at our Foursquare convention next week this very thing before about 300 youth, young adults, and, and youth leaders, next gen leaders. They want me to talk about ministry history and journey, oral history. What does it mean? We need to share our oral history. I think oftentimes we just close down. We don't talk enough, and we need to talk more about the journey that God has brought us on. Share your journey with people. Talk to people about what God has done in your life. 
It's important. It has impact. And then I'm reminded of the scripture that says, in those days we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the, the word of our testimony. It's our oral history. It's something that God has given us. It's a gift. And we need to share that gift with others. And even this weekend, there are several people that are with Pastor Al and other pastors. And they're talking about our history. I see my son. He's very interested and he's tenaciously pursuing his grandpa. He's wanting to sit down with his grandfather and just talk about his grandfather's upbringing. He's taping it. He's recording it. He's putting it on DVD. He's doing all kinds of things because he's interested. He wants to know what happened in his grandfather's life. We go through things like that. We go through seasons like that. I think this is one of those seasons for me. In fact, I went over to see my mom and dad the other day, and my mom is constantly pulling out different things that I haven't seen that are connected to my childhood. So she handed me this little package, and in this little package were things about my growing up years. And one happens to be a report card. It's an eighth grade report card. I was feeling pretty good until I got to this in the package she'd given me because she had given me a certificate for a baseball all-star team. There was a news clip of me playing in an all-star game, you know, all those kinds of things. But then on the back of this, I think she was sending a message. And here it is. I read over it. I want you to hear this. I love history, by the way. So, so when, I, when I look at this report card, I'm glad that I, I did fairly well in history, but not so much in the other subjects. So here's what, here's what the teachers say about me when they talk about me as far as science is concerned. Academic grade is barely passing. Your growth is unsatisfactory. Citizenship is satisfactory. Is capable of better work. Here's another one. This is math. Repeat what you just heard. This is what it says. Academic grade is barely passing. Growth is unsatisfactory. Citizenship is satisfactory. Is capable of better work. Now let me read you another one. Academic grade is excellent. Growth is outstanding. Citizenship is excellent. And there is nothing that says I am capable of better work. Straight A's. Boys PE class. Straight A's. (laughs) I think my mom threw these things in just to remind me that I'm all right. I have these little newspaper clippings and such that tell me that, that I did a few things well. I just wasn't a classroom guy. But one of the things, again, that I'm very interested in is, is, is my history. One of the things that I'm interested in is what God is doing in your life. So today I want us to, I want us to look at our four square values, to take time in all three services and talk about that. I want to share with you the four square gospel. And right when I say that, I, I have this first feeling, this, this great impression that if my mother-in-law was here and she heard me say that phrase, that I'm going to talk and preach on the four square gospel, she would be extremely proud of me. She's an amazing lady. Outside of Jesus and her family, she had two passions. One, the Los Angeles Dodgers. The other... The Four Square Church. And she even found ways to blend the two, especially during the month of October. <laughs> she would listen to the Dodger game on her little, little transistor radio, uh, radio while she was worship, worshiping in her favorite Four Square Church. And I could oftentimes, if I sat next to her, I could hear the voice of heaven, Vin Scully, just talking on that radio. <laughs> I knew I was really in a house of worship when I sat next to her. She loved the Four Square Church. She really did. And, 
And I want to talk a little bit about what that means to all of us. We heard the word four square today. We're not quite sure what it means, especially if you're new in this church family. Some of us immediately go back to a, a social networking company on the East Coast. It's called Foursquare. But there's more to it. There really is more to our Foursquare family. As you know, our church is called New Life Foursquare Church. What you may not know is the term Foursquare is actually a word found ten times in the King James Version of the Bible. For example, when God instructed Moses to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, he told, he told him to build the bronze altar Foursquare. He told him to build and put together the breastplate worn by the high priest, make it Foursquare. He said, when you put the incense altar together, make it four square. This is what I love the most. In Revelation chapter 20, 21, verse 16, it explains the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city of God. It'll be four square. There's going to be this incredible size to it. The Bible says that its length, its width, its height will each be 12,000 furlongs, which is approximately 1,380 miles. Now imagine a single city whose length, width, and even its height is nearly half the size of the United States. I can't wait that we're going to spend time in that city ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. You need to begin to see that. Somehow start to picture what God wants to do for you in your future. Not only here in this life, but what he has in store for us in the life to come. Let your imagination think about that. Let let it be inspired by the Holy Spirit. Just think we have enough information. We have enough facts here to, to think about this. A city that is that big? It's amazing. And we get to spend time with Jesus. Probably the most remarkable of all are the four living creatures mentioned in Ezekiel and Revelation. These four beings are unlike anything on earth because they each have four faces. The face of a man, the face of an eagle, the face of a lion, and the face of an ox. And they also have four wings, and together they are surrounding the throne of God in heaven. Listen, whenever you read anything like that in the Old Testament, would you be sure and know that it's a foreshadowing of something to come? That whenever you see or experience or read something like this in the Old Testament, just be reminded, just connect it to something that is very prophetic because that's exactly what's happening. And here's the prophetic connection of what we do know and are aware of. Some is still yet to be fulfilled because there are four Gospels and they're unique because Matthew describes for us the king of the Jews who will rule and reign. That's the face of the lion. Mark, the suffering servant, will be our sacrifice. That's the face of the ox. Luke, the son of man, who identifies with our humanity, is the face of man. And John, the son of God, who embodies the fullness of deity, is the face of the eagle. You see, there's something that we need to connect here, something that we need to think about. And I want to say this. This repetition of the number four in Scripture is more than coincidental because it represents, listen, a perfect balance in which each part complements and completes the other. That's why I like being part of this particular family. That's why I like being part of this family here. I understand there's denominationalism, there's institutes, there's always going to be that. I don't get into that a whole lot. And there are reasons why we, we don't all together. But what we do need to know is where our origin is, what our roots are, what we believe. What do we stand for? One of the things that I'm so thankful for is balance. 
Having a balanced gospel. I've said this before. We want to keep Jesus the main thing. We want to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus will always be the sinner. And this is what we see in these four pictures. We see as a suffering servant, we see Jesus Christ as our Savior. As a compassionate son of man, we see Jesus Christ as our healer. And as the son of God, we see Jesus Christ as our baptizer, the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And as the king of the Jews, we see Jesus Christ as our coming king who will rule and reign forever. Today I want to talk about those four aspects, those four core values of our four square family. I want you to know exactly what they mean. And I'm not just talking about this in theory for you and to you. I want you to apply something today. There's some application that God's spirit will ask you to make today. That your heart would be prepared and open to the work of the Holy Spirit to respond to something he may be stirring up in your heart. And I guarantee this. This message will only be affirmation to what he's already been speaking to you over these last several weeks or last several days. And he's just saying, be obedient. Just respond. Let's look at the first. The first is Jesus is our our Savior. The book of Ephesians talks a lot about Jesus being our Savior. The book of Ephesians begins with a revelation of the lengths that God has gone for us to be saved. In the first 14 verses, all three persons of the Trinity are recognized. They're honored for what was required for God to forgive our sins. God the Father has chosen to bless us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. But this blessing only comes through Jesus Christ. I want you to remember today that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Listen, I don't know what you think about when you cross paths with those who don't know the Lord. I assume that everyone thinks like me, but often I assume incorrectly. I assume that when I meet someone, I'm looking at them thinking, wow, wouldn't they be a great disciple? Listen, I did this before I held the position of a pastor. So it isn't just being a pastor that qualifies me. It's the breath of God who saved me. And I know I don't want to be stingy with that salvation. And I want to invite others into the same amazing grace that I've experienced in my own life. There's something in me that's always grinding. There's something in me that's always working that when I cross paths with people, I'm looking for those opportunities and I'm asking the Lord this seriously. Lord, am I here today to plant? Am I here to water? Or am I here to reap a harvest? What am I here to do today? Help me understand that. Help me know that. And listen, it can happen anywhere. Friday, I was playing golf with a good friend of mine And four years ago, we were on that same golf course. We were walking around talking with each other. We didn't know each other. First time we met. We got on on the green on a par five. And we just stood there. And he looked over at me and he said this. He says, what do you do? Million dollar question. I said, if I tell you, you promise me you won't run? And he goes, yeah. He's a U.S. Marshal. So I didn't probably have much to give him there as far as how to track people down. But I said, I'm a pastor. And he dropped his head. The first thing he said is he goes, how many F-bombs did I drop? I said, I don't know. I don't remember. I wasn't counting. Then he dropped his head again and he said, I needed to see you today. I said, why did you need to see me today? He said, because yesterday I was diagnosed with cancer. 
and I know my life isn't together, and I want my life to be together, would you help me? And I said, sure, let's pray right here. Hey, you can pray on the golf course. I pray all the time. (laughs) We just stood there, we prayed with our eyes open. My friend is a good friend. He comes here. We spent time yesterday or day before yesterday just talking. Listen, salvation is for all. The invitation is up to you. What are you thinking about? When you meet new people, when you go to different places, when you cross paths, even with the same people that you've been spending time with over and over and over again, Jesus Christ is our Savior. He saved me. He saved you. And this is why Ephesians 1, 6 says this to us. It says that the Father, God the Father, has made us accepted in the beloved. I love that word. You know what that word really means when you've been rejected. You know what that word really means when you've been alone. You know what that word really means when you've been discarded. And you read this and you say, I am accepted. In the beloved, I am accepted by Jesus Christ. He saved me. I'm accepted. This acceptance by God is is not due to any works or any merit on our part. Our deliverance from sin and death and hell is due solely to the mercy and grace of God. And that's what it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, least any man should boast. Would you say this with me? Jesus is our Savior. Savior. Remember that. Don't hold that back from others. Let them know that Jesus saved them. Here's the second value that we, we hold dear to us, and that is this. Jesus is our healer. Our ultimate healing is spiritual, which Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. That's what it tells us in Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 12. But the Bible goes beyond this, and it reveals that Jesus is also concerned with the healing of our body, the healing of our soul, the healing of our emotions, and all the sin that's caused damage to our life, Jesus is concerned with. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says this, Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Do you know that you can experience physical healing in your life, that Jesus is concerned with your physical well-being? In James chapter 5, it says, If there are any sick among you, let them call on the elders of the church. Let them be anointed so that they can experience healing in their body. And I want to say this because I struggle with it. When I'm sick, I think, I don't want to bug anybody. I don't want to call anybody. I'll just ride this thing out. You know what my main problem is? My main problem isn't that I don't want to inconvenience somebody. My main problem is pride. Because to do what James 5 tells me to do, that means I have to do the opposite. That means that I need to humble myself and call on the elders of the church. I don't know how many of us have remained sick because of pride in our lives. Pride is a huge 
horrible stumbling block when it comes to experiencing the healing, the physical healing power of Jesus Christ in our lives. The Bible says Jesus, God our Father, never turns away the humble, but he always embraces them. Listen, if you're sick, the Bible says, call on the elders of the church. Let them anoint you so that you can be healed. And some of you are still dealing with sickness, and some deal with sickness for long periods of time. But I still know this. The Bible's true. Call on the elders of the church. Let them anoint you with oil so you can experience the gift that God has for you. Last several months, I have lost a dear friend, someone who I saw every week for 20 years in my office. And Bobby, she couldn't walk and she always sought the Lord, always sought God, always sought the Lord, always sought his healing, believed in the healing power of Jesus. She died a few months ago. And I thought to myself, I I wish she could have walked. I wish she could have been healed. And then a few nights later, I... I had a dream which I shared with the family. I dreamt that I was in this very busy, crowded room. All kinds of people from all different places. I guess it was heaven. And I remember catching somebody over a little petition and they were going like this because they saw me. They caught, they, I caught their eye. They caught my eye and they were trying to get to me. And it was Bobby and, and she was running. She ran down an aisle. We hugged each other. She looked so good. And what I knew that moment was the Lord saying to me and to our families that God had healed her. The Bible says that we can experience healing. And as an admonition to all of us today, don't let pride get in the way. The Bible says, call on the elders. Let them anoint you. I love the places where Jesus heals people. I love what happens when he touches people's lives. In fact, his anthem, when he came and he opened up ministry to the whole world that he lived in, it says in Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery to the sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You see, everywhere Jesus went, there were these crowds, these throngs of people that just gathered around him. The blind people, the lepers, those who were crippled, those who were paralyzed. And it says this in the Bible, it says, And the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Can I say this? This is an amazing passage because it shows to us that Jesus was so sensitive to the physical pain and suffering of people in this world. I grew up in a Pentecostal tradition and there are things in every tradition that can get bent. It can get thwarted. It can take on another life of its own. And I want to tell you this. What I know about laying on of hands is this. That Jesus did this because he loved people. Did you know that when you touch somebody, when you touch them with your hand, you're making a connection. You're empathizing with them and you're saying, we're connected. It doesn't have anything to do with rattling the devil out of people. Others have made it that way. It has nothing to do with that. 
It has everything to do with the hand of God extended to you so that you could experience healing in your life. That when God touched people, when Jesus touched people, he did that because he loved them. He hears blind Bartimaeus yelling out and he invites him into his space. He invites him into this place, this moment, this wonderful conversation. And the first thing he says to him, and this is my paraphrase, he says, honey, what is it I can do for you? Because I love you. And blind Bartimaeus says, well, if you could help me see again, that would be great. If I could see again, that, that would really be nice. And Jesus prayed for him. He touched him. And the Bible says that he was healed. The laying on of hands represents God extending his hand to us. Jesus touching us. There's a connection there. My grandkids were here last night. They surprised me. And all I did, I didn't talk to them a whole lot. They just stood around me. And all I did was touch the tops of their heads. But they knew they were connected. Because somebody took time to extend a hand to them. They weren't afraid. It removed the barriers. And it lets us feel part of each other. Especially being part of God. Being part of his family. That's what Jesus does. That's how we see people touched. That's how we see people healed. I love what Ephesians says in Ephesians 2, 11 through 16. It says that not only can we be healed physically, but in the book of Ephesians, we can be healed, body, soul, spirit. It brings healing to our marriages, to our families, and even to our enemies. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who were a long way away, you who were utterly caught and trapped in your sin, you who had no hope to see what God wanted you to see, but now those who were once afar off are made near because of the shed blood of Christ. Don't forget you were a long way away. And you couldn't get to Christ through your own journey. He had to carve a way out for you. And he did that through his sacrifice, giving you salvation and offering you physical healing. It's his way of making a way for us. Jesus is our healer. Would you say that? Jesus is our healer. The third thing here is Jesus is our baptizer with the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was young, I was about 10 years old, and my family, my mom and dad, really hungered for the things of the Lord. There was something going on in their life. There was something going on in their spirit, in their relationships, in their friendships. And so one summer, they decided to take this whole family up to a family camp at a place called Cedar Crest in the hills and the mountains of Southern California. And we went up there, 
And it was one night, the same night, that my mom and dad were in one meeting and all of our siblings, my siblings and myself, were in another meeting. And that evening, they were praying that everyone would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the lady, the lady who led our meeting was Sister Easterly. I love her. She's really old. And I remember looking at her going, wow, she's really old. Probably she was about 50 at the time, you know, <laughs> about my age. And she just had this way. She just said, I, 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 wanna, I want all of you just to be filled with the Spirit. And I'm listening to her going, I'll do that. You know, my report card says I'm a little on the dull side, but inside I'm really not. I want what God has for me. I'm thinking I want everything that God has for me. God, don't hold back anything from me. Tell me what it is. I want it. You know what she did? She was, she was really too old to bend over. She couldn't bend over and lay hands on kids. So you know what she did? She got this bench. She put this bench on the floor. And all these kids walked up this bench and walked across so she just could stand there like this. And all those kids came across. She'd just pray for them. And every one of them was baptized in the Holy Spirit. She'd pray. She'd pray. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues. I still do more than all of you. That's what Paul says. I want everything that God has for me. I saw my siblings filled with the Holy Spirit. We got back together in our cabin that night as a family. My mom and dad were filled with the Holy Spirit. One night, it was like the jailer in the book of Acts. The family saved and filled with the Spirit all together. And since then, that journey has been so exciting for me. Because this is what I recognize. Unless I'm filled with the Spirit, unless I'm baptized with the Spirit and desire, the Bible says, the gifts that are afforded me, they're found in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. You need to read that. Everything in there is for us. If we desire that and we ask God for that and we say, Lord, I want that in my life, can I say this to you? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not optional. You see, we begin and we have in our church traditions, not just here and other places and around, we think it's optional. We believe sometimes it's optional. It's not optional. If you're going to go to make disciples, if you're going to go live a life of fullness, it's not an option. You need the infilling of the Holy Spirit because I honestly can't see how you're going to do what you're supposed to do unless you are filled with the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus said one of his last things. He says, go and make disciples. But I want you to go wait because I have a gift for you. It's the Holy Spirit of promise. And I'm going to baptize you with my spirit so you can go do what I told you to do. There are things in my life I know would be totally impossible. Daily things impossible without the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then I think of the trips when we go and make disciples. I think of one particular trip to Nigeria. Leaving there, I see a Muslim man kneeling on a, a prayer board. And the Lord says, go pray for him. And I'm thinking, I will die. He will shoot me. He will stab me. And all the time I'm thinking this, my feet are going in that direction. I'm thinking, what are you doing, feet? What are you doing, feet? Why are my feet walking to him? And my head is saying, don't go there. And then I think of the scripture. It says, how lovely are the feet of those who bring good news. 
knelt down next to him and prayed the prayer of salvation and he wept and he cried. I go to get on my plane. The plane's canceled. There's a riot that breaks out. I get on another plane. I'm in a place where I've never been before. No one in the world really knew where I was. I head to another destination. While I'm there, I'm in a lounge with these guys. This guy starts talking to me. I ask him what he does. He says he works with fiberglass. I said, oh yeah, we have a fiberglass thing in Canby that makes diving boards. He goes, yeah, I've been there. I I go there all the time. I said, you go to Canby? He goes, yeah, go there all the time. I said, I want you to do something. I want you to pray for the guy who used to own that diving board company. His name's Paul. And since then, by the way, parentheses, Paul has been saved. He accepted Christ. He goes, I'll pray for him if you pray for the guy who owns it now. And I said, I'll pray for him. What's his name? And he's standing there talking to me, and he goes, oh, there he is. And I said, there who is? He goes, the guy we're talking about from Canby, he's right there. And I said, no way. And he said, yeah, he's right there. So he invites him over, hugs him. And then this guy tells this guy what we were just talking about. And the guy drops his head and he goes, okay, man, you guys are just freaking me out right now. You're freaking me out. (laughs) Did you know? Shouldn't be a surprise. I was assigned next to him every seat on the leg, all the legs back from Paris to Portland. He sat next to me, kept looking at me going, this is too weird. Let me say this, you cannot have the wisdom and the insight and the discernment you need to be an effective minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what you are, unless you're filled with the Spirit of God. Be baptized. Be filled. That's what Jesus has told us in Scripture And I love what it does. I love what happens in my own life. In fact, let me give you a few things that takes place. God's spirit indwells in us and abides with us forever. That's why he can say he will never leave you or forsake you. God's spirit will become our teacher. God's spirit will become our guide. God's spirit will empower us to be witnesses for Christ. God's spirit will impart spiritual gifts to those who desire them. The book of Ephesians, it tells us that through the Spirit of God, we can have strength to overcome, that we can be equipped, we can be equipped to do the things that God has called us to do. Desire the gifts of the Spirit. Desire the infilling of God's Spirit. And the Bible says you will be filled, and you will be my witnesses to all people. Be the witness that God has called you to be. And then the last thing is this, and before we move on, say this, Jesus Christ is our baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Say that, Jesus Christ is our baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Here's the last thing. The last thing is this, Jesus is our soon coming king. He's coming again. He's coming again. In the New Testament, the early church, they would say, Maranatha. Maranatha, Maranatha, he's coming again. But something's happened to us. We've lost our edge. We've lost our excitement about the reality of his second coming. I I know how it happens. We go through every single day and life seems just keep beating us up and, and we can't see the tree, the forest to see the trees. We can't see what's going on around us and there's this lacquering of our heart. 
I don't think it's intentional altogether. It just starts to happen where you have this worry and that worry and this thing and that thing. And pretty soon you're, you're so bent over that all you can see is what is right in front of you. And Jesus says to us, he's coming again. Lift your head. Look to the sky. Because there is going to be a moment when Jesus comes back and the dead in Christ will rise first. And by the way, I'm so thankful for that because they deserve it. They died. And that those still remain will be caught up with him in a twinkling of an eye. He's coming again. I love what the Bible tells us about our king coming. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Do you picture what's going on in heaven? Do you picture Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven? And Jesus doesn't know. And he's saying, well, we, is, is now? <laughs> no. There is a time it's coming. Do you, do you know what I imagine will happen in heaven at that time? This is what I imagine. This is what I picture. Jesus seated next to the Father, the right hand of the Father, and God the Father sitting on his throne, and all of a sudden, he just stands up and says, now, now is the time. And it's so be like a roaring Mighty wind. And we'll see him. The Bible says that we will be with him forever. Don't lose your edge. Jesus is coming again. I know it may not feel like it. I know oftentimes this, this life beats us down, but he is coming again. This is how we should live. Walk worthy of your call. He's coming again. Walk in holiness. He's coming again. Walk in love because he's coming again. Walk in the light because Jesus is coming again. And walk in wisdom because our king is coming soon. Can you say Jesus is coming soon? Would you do this with me? Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward and also our prayer teams to go to their places if they would. I think many of you have noticed when you've come into this place, you see what we call the four square symbols. They represent Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Healer, our Baptizer, and our soon coming King. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table. But we also have another commission. And the commission is this, that the Lord would prompt you to be prayed for and be stirred up today in your own heart. That you'll be led in the way that the Lord has for you, that you would be obedient. Father, we've heard a message. We've heard the message of hope that we understand even more clearly today that you are our Savior, you are our healer, 
You are our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and you are our soon-coming King. We thank you for that. We give you glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.